All right, welcome to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. I'm Jim. Andrew is uh, actually stuck at work and will explain uh, the unique schedule for this show. But I am solo here today with our special guest that we've been trying to get on for a long time. And uh, he's right now he's in Germany. And we would like to welcome uh, Brandon DeFazio. So he is a Clarkson University product playing there 2008 to 2011. Undrafted in the NHL, but started his pro career with a short stint in the ECHL with Wheeling before signing uh, AHL deal with uh, Wilkes-Barre. He plays uh, for a long time in the AHL uh, for various teams, Utica, Texas, Bridgeport, and the Providence Bruins. He uh, also, we're going to talk about his call-up with the Vancouver Canucks playing in the NHL. Then he uh, packs up his sticks and skates goes overseas to China of all places. I can't wait to talk about that with their uh, new team in the KHL that they started back in, I think, 2016, 17. And then he goes on to play in Finland. Um, I think his former team moved from China to Russia. We'll find out. Uh, Also played in Czech and has spent the last three seasons and currently in the elite league in the German Dell. Foz, how did I do? You did good, Jim. That was, I mean, listen, when you when you played that many places, it's not easy to to track down all the names and all the all the leagues and stuff. And it gets a little confusing there with the with the KHL. They're based in China, played in Russia. So I understand. We've we've been a lot of places. So uh, I appreciate the intro, though. Thank you. Well, you know, and our, our listeners have got to understand. I looked just before you came on at our communication and. And no fault of yours, no fault of ours. It's just the way when we you do podcasts and you're dealing with uh, um, active players, particularly. It's been yeah. a year we've been trying to get you on. And it's been like, yeah, can you do this? No. Hey, I can do this. Can you guys do that? Oh, no, we can't do that. So today it was literally, uh, you know, you, you kind of said, hey, man, I got some time today. It's like an eight hour difference. You want to do it? I'm like, let's do it. So I'm glad yeah. we finally connect. Well, I, I appreciate finding the time and I apologize. It took a year, but uh, you're right. You know, the time change. And I think when we first started talking, I might've been having a kid close to that time. You know, I just had my second kid a year ago. So it was just a lot of things happening fast and they come at you. But I told my wife today, I said, I got to get this done. I said, I feel bad. So I'm happy, happy to be here. She was happy to hear that. I finally, finally got it done. So we're in a good spot now we're rolling. So that's all well, that matters. Tell her, tell her, thank you. When the podcast is over. So take us take us a little back uh, back to Clarkson University. So uh, you do well there. You've got uh, over four years, uh, seventy seven points somewhere around there, I think. Talk a little bit about your uh, the boys on the team, your coach, and uh, your experiences at Clarkson. Yeah, you know, like. Um... I think everybody has experiences with college. I've seen a lot of people that you have on do tend, you know, for the majority that I saw do have college experience. You know, everybody has different experiences, but um, for me, it was great. You know, um, it, it uh, teaches you a lot about yourself when you go to school, you know, because, you know, when I went, I was only, uh, you know, 18, just turned 19. So I was one, one year uh, away from being a true freshman. So I wasn't quite as young as some guys could be, but I still felt young in a sense of, probably more so than, uh, you know, the maturity level of a person. I felt more as a hockey player, I had a lot to learn. And, uh, you know, it comes, it comes at you fast, you know, when you're trying to take on school and the new environment and you want everybody to be, you know, from a coaching standpoint, from hockey, you want them to be happy with the, 
you know, what you're giving them, uh, you know, coming into a new, new uh, situation, new relationships, um, but also undertaking the school part, you know, and, and trying to manage that where you got to, you know, you got to stay at a level, right, where uh, your GPA has to be, you know, above a certain level and, and all these certain rules. And Clarkson uh, certainly was a school that uh, wasn't one that you could just not show up to class. You know, we were mandated. We had to be there every day. So um, there certainly was no hiding from the scheduling. And, you know, what I always say is, you know, you had to learn to time manage really quickly. So, um, you know, for, for me, I, I loved it at Clarkson. Like I said, it was, uh, it's, an, it's an experience that uh, I wish more people understood, you know, it's specifically the small town feel, uh, you know, where hockey is the biggest thing in the town. Um, it's exciting. You know, it's really exciting to be with your peers. You know, it's, it's something almost unexplainable people that haven't done it. You know, when, when you're living in a, in a dorm and everybody's going to the game, you know, so if there's a big game, you know, all your friends and your peers and everybody around the dorm are excited. And yeah. uh, that feeling is, uh, you, you can't replace it. I mean, it's just, it's completely different than playing pro or, uh, you know, playing major junior and, you know, have the talent that comes somewhat similar, but when you have your actual friends that you're living with, you know, that are coming to the games, they're excited to see you do well. They want you to do well. It also adds an, you know, an element of pressure, right? Because you don't want to disappoint people when there's, uh, you know, so many people involved and everybody's so close. I mean, we only have 3000 undergrads. I mean, it's a small, small situation, right? So uh, it felt like everything was important, uh, which is exciting. So, you know, for me, Clarkson was, was that experience. Um, and like I said, you know, it took some time to, to find myself as a hockey player for sure. Cause you're learning really quickly and it's a whole new level. You know, junior was one thing, which I only played two years as a junior, you know, and, and, lo and looking back, maybe I should have played a third and probably went a little later, but, you know, I was happy to be there. And that, that team, um, my first year ended up being the best team we were, I was on. So, you know, we got to, you know, be one, one win away from the frozen four and such experiences like that. So, you know, I'm thankful I was there, but I certainly didn't feel like I was hundred percent ready uh, for the experience just yet. So <clears throat> what made you decide to do the collegiate route beside, well, I guess education could be the only one, but what made you decide to do the collegiate route rather than stick it out in the juniors and then try to go pro from junior? Well, it was unique. Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a loaded question. I would say that, you know, I, I wanted to be drafted in the OHL, you know, I was desperate to be in the OHL. That's, that's, I think that what happens too, and, and I hope that there's some people that will listen to this and understand that um, when you're in high school, the OHL seems, or let's say the CHL, wherever you are in Canada, it seems like it's going like this on you. Right. And, uh, you know, I know for audio, it, it seems to be tunneling you into or, you know, to this is everything. And uh, for me, it was no different. You know, my dad was drafted fifth overall in the OHL, um, you know, went that route. My uncle was drafted uh, 12th overall, went that route, you know. So it was it was around me and I was the oldest in, in, in my family. So the first to go through an OHL draft, um, it was certainly something that I wanted to do. Uh, I wasn't drafted. So I was supposed to be drafted. I didn't end up get drafted, which, you know, at that time seemed uh, life ending, life altering. Yeah. You know, you, sh you show up to high school and uh, I'll never forget the announce, you know, who gets, who gets drafted on the announcements. And when you're not, yeah. and you're, you know, 15, you really feel like, uh, you know, your world's over in, in a sense for hockey. Right. And uh, thankfully, you know, I had a mom that believed 
uh, believed in me and pulled me up off the ground and said, uh, this isn't the end of your story. And uh, certainly had the experience of my dad and people around me, no, no doubt. But this pushed me to understand that, uh, listen, hockey, hockey continues after the OHL draft. And, uh, you know, it, it, it quickly made me realize that it was the best thing that ever happened to me because uh, it allowed me to find the time to uh, find myself. Uh, but more importantly, the opportunities to speak to schools, take it a little slower. You know, I had the opportunity when I was 17 to, uh, you know, sign and play in the OHL. But um, at the end of the day, my, my family being that they came from the OHL side of things, um, you know, my dad said, look, at I, uh, you know, when I finished playing pro hockey, I, I didn't have a degree. Um, he was lucky. He got right on the fire department. Don't get me wrong. Lived a great life. But uh, certainly said that, listen, I, I think you need to get your degree. And my mom was wholeheartedly, obviously, on that side of things, too. So when we had the opportunity, we had to make that decision. I didn't have a scholarship yet, but um, we felt it was best to try to play junior A and, and, and see what happens. So. And what made you decide on Clarkson? Well, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I had a really good uh, finish to my, I got, I ended up getting traded uh, mid midway through my first year of junior and I had a really good playoffs. And uh, there was the first team to bring me down on a visit, you know, to bring family down, my mom, my dad, me, get in the car, we drive up to Clarkson. Um, it, it, you just couldn't beat that being your first visit. Right. You know, I, I had figured, I guess, in my head that there was going to be a lot more, you know, happening, you hope, but I wasn't willing to uh, sit there and, and be naive to the fact that this is a full ride scholarship, you know, and I have humble beginnings, not humble that, you know, you know, we're middle, middle-class family that, you know, you're getting offered, offered the opportunity to go play for, a, you know, the winningest uh, college program at the time in, in, uh, in division one, right. I mean, there's an extremely high history. The school is extremely uh, well-regarded. I mean, it just wasn't a lot to think about, uh, so I didn't dive into it too much. You know, it wasn't so much like, hey, I'm comparing Clarkson to, you know, X or Y, Z, right? It was, listen, this, this makes a lot of sense. They care about me. They're trying to get me now. I'm going to, you know, accept the fact that I care about loyalty. And these are the first people to, to realize that or, 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 you know, see potential in me. And, and I'm not going to say no. So. So I do want to uh, stop here a minute because you did mention your dad, your uncle, and you, you come from uh, quite the hockey family. Give us quick lowdown on your family. And, and I know for our listeners, they're thinking, well, it's Canada. Every family's that way. But I mean, you guys <laughs> legit hockey pros here. So talk a little mm -hmm. bit, you know, about about the family ties here. Yeah, we get, you know, and, and again, I'm very fortunate still to this day to have the, you know, to have that to rebound off of, uh, you know, with my, with my father specifically being very close with him uh, to speak to hockey all the time is huge. But uh, Dean, my dad was uh, drafted by uh, Branford back in the day, fifth overall, as I said, my uncle was um, his youngest brother was drafted uh, uh, by Ottawa and played in Ottawa. And he was drafted 12th overall. So we have that. So obviously Dean ended up, my father ended up playing in the NHL for 22 games with Pittsburgh. Um, you know, obviously with his friends being around too, you know, there was relationships that we created that way. You know, in terms of outside of that, I mean, I have three younger brothers, you know, my, my next one down uh, went D3, played at Brockport. My next one down ended up being a captain in junior B. 
Uh, my next one down is now just headed off to uh, Newman University to, to be the goalie there uh, playing D3. So we got lots of stuff going on. And outside of hockey, um, my other my, my dad, my other uncle, Kirk, uh, he was drafted in the first round of the CFL. Uh, so he was a football oh. player. Um, runs like uh, I think he was one of the first Canadians to ever finish the Ironman in Hawaii. So I mean, we've got athletics all, all around us. You know, my, yeah. my cousin. You know, my cousin went to Queens University. He was a goalie. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, you know, to certain certain degrees and varying sports, but uh, certainly a certainly a, a, an athletic family. Let's say. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. No kidding. So, <clears throat> you're finishing up, and uh, how did you do your little stint? I think you had like nine, ten games um, in the ECHL as you're finishing up college here uh, with Wheeling, and then you signed your deal with uh, Wilkes Bar. But how did the um, I, I guess it's a two part question. How did that come about with wheeling? And then what was it like the transition from playing college to now you're in the ECHL? These are guys that got families. It's a real gig. It's a professional, uh, yeah. you know, uh, what was that like? But how did that come about? Yeah, so so basically, you know, funny enough, my my agent at the time was Kyle Dubas, which uh, everybody in hockey would know that name now. But um, you know, Kyle Kyle began as an agent and uh, came came down to Clarkson my sophomore year, and ended up going with him and Todd Reynolds. Um, so basically, Kyle called me and said, uh, once my, my you know my senior year finished at Clarkson, and said, uh, you have an opportunity. I know it's not what you want specifically, but you have an opportunity to. Uh, to go to the East coast league with wheeling. But I do want to tell you that, you know, they, they see more for you. So, you know, if, if you come and, um, you know, do what you're supposed to do or what they think you're going to do, then they're going to call you up and give you a couple of games. But uh, you have to understand Wilkes-Barre at that time was like a 50 win team. Uh, they were incredible. They, they've always been an incredible American league team. So I, I had a pretty good understanding. You know, if you look back on what we just talked about, like I wasn't naive to understanding that it was going to be difficult because I understood situations because I had, you know, my dad and my uncle and all these people around. Right. So, uh, but I was okay with that. So um, I had the opportunity to go down there. Wheeling was an unbelievable team. Uh, there's been a lot of glorified stories these days with Bissonette and uh, all his things. He talks about wheeling and all the stuff they're doing, but uh, it actually is, a, you know, a really high end spot to be because uh, they try to win there. And, and generally speaking, Pittsburgh will, uh, have NHL contracted players there. So for, for me, coming from school, it was amazing. Like I was just uh, head over heels excited. Uh, there was good hockey players there. You know, it was high-end draft picks. Uh, they were a good team. Um, so uh, going there was probably the biggest thing that happened in terms of transitioning because what ended up happening was um, I played the nine or 11 games. I don't remember what it was. I think it was 11, uh, nine in the, in the East coast, but I got called up. I got to play the two games in Wilkes-Barre and then I got sent back down, but I got, I got to go on this huge playoff run. And, uh, so I ended up playing like, I think in total with the playoffs and stuff, 26 games, uh, right out of school. So I never ended up going back to school. I had to do everything on the fly you know, everything, uh, online and stuff, which was difficult, but I also got 26 games of professional experience before I got to head off in the summer to come back to, so you, you're creating relationships with coaches, you're creating, you know, relationship management, all this stuff that was around. So, so for me, you know, I'm, I'm really indebted to wheeling in a, in a sense, because 
uh, one, they wanted to win. Two, they allowed me to play. And uh, three, the experience was uh, was really high end. You know, we were. We, I think we ended up losing in Game Seven. Uh, uh, you know, to go to the finals and, and, and lost there. Um, you know, I remember being torn a little bit between. You know, I want to be back in senior spring, and it's exciting, and everybody's <laughs> enjoying the last part. You know, last part of school, and you know. But I, and looking back, it was a sacrifice worth doing. You know, it really, really created who I was going to be. You know, it allowed me next year to uh, come into camp, like I said, where uh, people said, okay, yeah, I know DeFazio, rather than coming in and say, well, I have no idea who this kid is, right? So um, that helped me, helped me a lot. Yeah. So <clears throat> kind of jumping ahead here, you, you have a great season with Utica. I think you had like 43, 44 points. And then you uh, get the call up to Vancouver. So we're jumping ahead a few years here. Um, what was it like to, first of all, you're a mainstay in the AHL. You got good numbers. You deserve the call up. You finally get the call up. Did it come at a time that you were expecting it or did you expect it maybe a season before or, I mean, I'm sure you didn't care when it finally happened, but um, when you finally got that call up, how did you hear about it? We've heard so many funny stories about guys from the AHL being called up. What, what, how did, yeah. who called you? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take it back and I'll, I'll answer two parts, you know. Yeah. I got the call from Travis Green, uh, you know, and that and that was the moment. But I'll take I'll take it back to the year before because the year before was more important because, as you said, a lot of people think that this is their time and it doesn't happen. But you know, I guess the way I try to communicate to people in terms of how, as an undrafted player, to to just get the games up—that's all that mattered to me. But uh, I felt I had deserved it. Uh, sorry, deserved it the year before, um, and and I will say that there there's a certain uh, point in your career. Uh, that a lot of people listening to this will understand that you feel you deserve something uh, and there's not a lot you can uh, do to communicate that properly without coming, coming across as, you know, let's say egotistical yeah. or uh, self-indulged or your care you, but there is also a line that you have to be able to, if you understand your game well enough. And this is what I always say. I understood that at that time, the year before that I probably deserved to play and uh, it didn't happen, but I was willing to be, uh present enough let's say with where I was at to say okay I need to say something now like you know what's the worst that could happen so I had, I had said then and finally vocalized you know after you know three years in America like I said look I deserve I feel like and in more of a positive way what can I do you know like what else can I do you know I had been scoring the year before I had been trying to be a good teammate and sticking up for people and scoring big goals and doing the whole thing right so yep there's that point in your career where I feel like a lot of people let that slide. And if you, if, like I said, if you deserve it, uh, you should always be able to be honest and say, you know, how you feel. And maybe a lot of times people do it now when they don't. And I think that's also another story, but I knew that I was doing everything I possibly could to play in the NHL. And I also knew I was undrafted. So I was working against the grain. So coming into the next year, they knew that, okay, we probably should have given them games. And that's kind of how it happened. I started, I started well, I had a coach and Travis Green that completely believed in me, completely changed my career. He, uh, he taught me how to play hockey the right way. He taught me how to play hockey the way that uh, we're seeing come through now in hockey, you know, fast and up-tempo and above pucks and being aggressive, but not just simple, you know, not throwing pucks away. And he, he taught me that, uh, you know, that element and that's what helped me. And, and then, yeah, he was, he was the guy that called me and, 
and said, you know, you're going to, you're going to go up and play. Um, I guess the unique situation about that was that I had already played uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the American league. So, you know, one of the harder, harder weekends you'll get in AHL, which many of people have been through, but yeah. uh, so I said, all right, so, you know, play in uh, Rochester and you come back home to Utica, you're hanging out on the couch, watching the late game, seeing guys go down, get the call. I'm like, Holy smokes. You know, I got to get to Anaheim by the next day to play a six o'clock game in that time zone. And you're on this time zone and you've already played three games. So it was unique in a sense that I, uh, you know, had to rush, had to hurry, but uh, in a way it was just, just the way it was supposed to be, you know, for my career, it was never going to be the path uh, uh, you know, traveled, you know, it was the path less traveled in, in a yeah. way. And, and the way I got called up was no different, you know, it was going to be hard and no sleep and trying to find a way, but uh, my parents got there, everything, uh, everything was worth it. So, so, you know, kind of, uh, I guess you can take a moment to either, either brag or, or just kind of take in the moment that again, undrafted player, mm. you earn it, you pay your dues, you get your spot. What was it like to, uh, you know, play in, in those uh, a few games or just that first game? Was there mm-hmm. ever a moment maybe during the anthems or wherever, right. maybe you're just sitting on the bench that you're just like, not that, hey, I made it because you're going, man, look at what I've had to do and get to Anaheim right. overnight. But was there a moment where you just said, for right now, this is pretty damn good? Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, – it's. Um it's obviously emotional to try to speak to because it's just, and everybody that's chasing a dream right now understands it, you know, and people, you know, but, you know, early in the journey can understand that uh, this is all you think about. Right. So, yeah. you know, when, you, and, and, and I would say like, you think about just when you're playing pro, like you, you think about this, if you're a hockey person, you know, since you were five years old. Right. And it's hard to, hard to explain, but the biggest feeling that I had, uh, which is really odd, but I had dreamed so much in my head growing up as a kid, you know, when you put your head to the pillow or, you know, when I was five years old, uh, you know, uh, begging my parents that I was allowed to just listen on my, you know, the old radios that you had beside the bed, but yeah. I used to have the hockey game. And I said, beg them, you know, can you please put the Leafs game on uh, to listen? Right. And, you know, that's how it was, you know, I was a crazy uh let's call it hockey nerd or whatever you want to say but I was just absolutely obsessive you know and I had been obsessive for a long period of time so when I did finally uh actually do it where you're playing in a real game it felt like you had done it before and it's the weirdest feeling but it's just because if you if you really think about like mental strength and like how you think about things and you know if you look at athletes now they're very forward about uh you know the belief in terms of how you see things that's that's just how I felt you know I had I had dreamt it my whole life you know I had seen it my whole life I had felt it my whole life you know I had been out there because that's what you have to do to make yourself believe and specifically when you're undrafted it's it's that mindset um, that almost made it feel like I said that uh, it had happened before as much as it did but it just you know it had happened in my head so many times that uh, you know it just it just it was like you know it was your dream right there and that was pretty cool. Yeah. So <clears throat> talk a little bit about, uh, and again, being undrafted, I'm sure that that has its own challenges, like you've already discussed, but you do have a lot of, <clears throat> in the AHL, you do have a lot of one-year contracts. We've had on a lot of players um, that, you know, complain about, hey, when you're a two-way player, if a team is stacked with a lot of one-way players, and now we're, we're, we're talking business side of hockey, really, 
Um, mm -hmm. But it's the way it is. When you've got a team that's stacked with a lot of one-ways, there's not much room. There's not much chance for guys on a two-way contract to get up there. So was it kind of going to this team, to that team, trying to figure out like, hey, where's my, where can I best fit in this mm -hmm. NHL organization or, or am I wrong on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I more look at it like if if you're if you're gonna go this road of undrafted, then it's not gonna be smooth, you know. And and I had a full understanding like pretty early, like how business worked and you see the contracts and stuff like that. I, I didn't pay too much attention, I would say. Like I was pretty, I would say like ignorant in the right way that I wasn't too worried about what everybody else was supposed to be. I was more just worried about what I had to do. Um, that helped me. Yeah, you know, like the, the different contracts and such it's, it's it's just that survive and advance mentality you know if you're appreciative at least to get the two-way you know that was a step in the right direction for me obviously um you know you, you're gonna be riding that line if if you don't have a specific home like I said like if you don't have that specific team that invested in you when you were 18 then uh, that's the reality of the situation. That's the business situation because, you know, they put seven years of development into someone that they're comparing to me. Well, you can't look at it just simply as a money thing, but you got to also look at it as a time thing, you know, it's, it's, and it's also a relationship thing. You know, you have development coaches, you have scouts, you have head scouts, you have amateur scouts, you have head of amateur scouts, you have all these people that they didn't know who I was specifically. I was just a new guy that maybe a pro scout saw and, you know, gave, gave a chance. Right. Whereas, you know, the other guys, they're all fighting in the boardrooms. You know I mean? They're all fighting in the meetings for their guy, you yeah. know, and, and so on and so forth. But we understand where that leads. Right. I mean, because everybody has a job to do. So if someone sat at a table and banged on it and said, Hey, I got to draft Brandon DeFazio. Well, that's putting your, you know, yourself on the line. So then that, what that leads to is then everybody, you know, in that room wants you to succeed because it's also their opinion. So I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I never yep. had, the, you know, I didn't have the, you know, the banging on the table. It was just, okay, well, he's exceeded, uh, you know, what we thought he would be for a one-year player. He was a great leader. He helped our young guys. Thank you very much. You did your job, which I was happy to do, but that next step, certainly you need to have someone really put their, their neck out and say, okay, you know, which I was fortunate, Travis Green and those guys in Vancouver, Jim Benning, uh, you know, Lawrence Gilman, uh, like these these guys did it the right way at least to give me the two games right so yeah. uh, they were willing to put that you know their reputation say hey we're gonna do the right thing by this kid regardless if we didn't have that seven-year relationship and the board and blah, blah 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 we're gonna do the right thing give him a chance now other organizations are more difficult it doesn't always happen that way so your last two season in the american league with texas and and providence you got great numbers man it's like uh the two seasons it's like 90 points so, and, and I think it was probably, um, you know, your best two seasons that you've had. Um, and then you <clears throat> get a contract to go and play in the KHL, which has its own opportunities and, and, and money. We've uh, talked to plenty of guys that have gone over to the KHL, but <clears throat> what was the, um, what was the reason? Was it, Hey, uh, I, I'm doing well. I'm putting up the numbers in the American league. It just doesn't seem to be happening. So it's time to, to move on. Yeah, that's exactly it, Jim. I mean, look, it, um, those were the best years I had. So, it, 
it was it was difficult not to get the, the games that you wanted and, and and all that stuff. But I, I should say that, it, you know, it hurt my heart to make that decision because, like I said, you know, this is your entire life is put into playing the NHL. And I wasn't ready, I guess, uh, specifically to give up on it, specifically after my best year. Um, you know, I didn't feel like it was the right time. But, uh, you know, I was, I guess, 27, turned to 28, which with what they do in the American League now, it's it's not meant for for that anymore. Uh, yeah. When I when I first started, it was starting to fade out, but more it still had you know some older guys hanging around. Um, but I think it was the only I think there was only two players at the time. My last three years in the American League, it was I think myself and Cole Schneider, and we were the only two players in the entirety of the American League to score twenty goals three years straight. So I figured, okay, if if I'm not playing games in the NHL. And I did that, and I'm literally one of two players uh, able to do that. Then I kind of figured in my head, all right, this this is probably not uh, going right. to happen. Um, and obviously, there's a there's an aspect to financials and and different things, right? You know, the the money that was uh, offered was something that I never had the opportunity to do. You know, I didn't have the opportunity to be on big money uh, anywhere. Uh, and you know, it, like you said, it's still a business, so. It was kind of just wait, you know, weighing those two situations. You know, if you did that, then this, this isn't happening. And then if this opportunity is coming, uh, you know, and, and it also felt like the KHL was the second best league in the world. So if I couldn't didn't have the opportunity to play in the NHL, you know, the KHL was something that I thought in my head, well, hey, if you go have 20 goals, maybe you can come back and someone sees you differently. You never know. So right. it kind of gave me a little feel that like it wasn't over even though I knew like, okay, it probably is, but you know, there was still that, you know, that small hope left plus, you know, for, for my family, it was, uh, you know, the right decision. So, yeah. And again, the KHL is its own elite league and a lot of NHL players, uh, you know, if, if not recently with everything going on, but they've, you know, said, mm-hmm. screw it to the NHL. I'm going to make more money in the KHL. But so mm-hmm. you go on and is this true? Cause this is a part where I get a little shaky. Um, do you actually go to the Beijing on this team? I know the team specifically in the KHL was 2016. You were there, I think, 17. Was it actually in China at the time and then it moved to Russia? No, I was in China. Yeah. Yeah. So my my first year I was there, we were in <coughs> Shanghai, actually. Um, so we, we did that whole thing, me, me and my wife over there, which is just uh, – a whole different world. I would say that Shanghai is very westernized. A lot of people say like, holy smokes, how'd you do it? I actually found that easier than a lot of places in a sense, because Shanghai being such a Western hub for, you know, banking investments and then so many other companies that it, you know, there were so many avenues that you could spend time where people spoke English and they treated us so well. We lived in incredible apartments with the most, you know, ridiculous views. The whole thing was, uh, Honestly, like one of the one of the best experiences I ever had uh, playing that year in Shanghai. Like me and my wife couldn't have had any more fun, and and you know the memories we made. Obviously, there was downfalls with the travel and stuff, but no, we we played in Shanghai and you know played in the Russian league. So it, I mean, I think you know one of the stats coming out of that year was like I think we were on the plane for like 330 hours, which is, yeah, that's insane. Out of like out of control. Like I mean, we we would go like I remember specifically one time flying like. It was like 14 and a half hours and you got throwing like a bus on each end and we, we chartered. So it was all right, but it's still 14 and a half hours, 15 hours on a plane. I mean, it's, you know, it's out of control. Right. And, uh, 
and, and you get to play the next day and you change change time zones by eight hours so yeah that's insane it's just yeah i mean it's ludicrous it's really ludicrous i mean you're trying to you're trying to be a pro you're trying to do these things the right way it's like at some point during that year you're just like all right like you have to survive you got to find your way through this but uh yeah it, it wasn't easy but like i said the experiences were pretty neat so your experience in the khl what was it like was it a little bit more rough and tumble was it more speedy more open ice yeah a little bit of both like i think a lot of people assume um they they assume that you know the bigger ice creates an easier game, but I I found it extremely difficult. Like I thought, I couldn't believe the like the high end, like the teams. You have to remember, like then too was like it was it was very good. Obviously, things in, in the way they've happened now, you know, outside of hockey, but also it's gotten a little less where they've got a salary cap and different different things have happened. But back then it was a little bit wild west. Like like it was incredible hockey. Like I couldn't believe it and. It was a little bit rough too, like rougher than I thought. Like, like those Russians are no joke. Like they played hard, you know, they, they were pros. You had guys that have played a long, long time in that league and, you know, earned their keep. And then, you know, you see all-stars like Kovalchuk and Datsuk and uh, you know, these guys flying around. It, it certainly was a step up from the American league for me. And uh, maybe something I was a little naive to, you know, I only understood the American league before that. Right. So uh, it was good for me though. Like I, I really enjoyed it being hard every night you know, a new rank, a new place, all this stuff. Um, I think to a certain degree, like, like I said before, like the, some of the podcasts and all the, the hoopla that gets thrown around about Russia, you know, that was before, you know, it's, uh, you know, that was like the Super League, uh, you know, there was a completely different time, you know, they've really tried to, you know, when I got there, make things more like the NHL, you know, like I thought the TV coverage was high end, you know, the fans were high end, you know, the ranks were high end and, and stuff like that. So uh, for me as an experience overall, hard every day, for sure. Very, very hard. It's very, very hard mentally to, you know, stay in it, to stay, uh, you know, focused, uh, to be ready to play. And, and yeah, that's, that's a, that's a league. that's no joke because your contracts aren't guaranteed. Every day is not, you know, the next day is not coming for sure. And uh, you got to be ready to compete. So, so this is where <clears throat> I think you're going to have to uh, explain to our listeners a little bit. So KHL, you've got some Finland in there, more mm -hmm. KHL, Czechoslovakia, COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So where yeah. does, where do kind of bring us through briefly what, what happened because it's kind of a you know covid screws up everything and you're playing all over the place really yeah so ba so basically i went to the khl with with kunlun in china and then i went to finland and i had a great year in finland um you know i, lo I loved it in finland i thought that that hockey was incredible incredible also that was another thing i was naive to i could I just couldn't believe like like in finland for such a small country uh you know under six million people I mean, the hockey was just so high end, like it was unbelievable hockey and like the fans are passing the whole thing. Right. Uh, the hockey history there just, I mean, it goes forever. Right. And again, like when you do, we don't know this stuff until you're in it. And, uh, yeah. you know, that was a great year. Um, I met some really, really good friends that year in Finland, you know, the, Justin Danforth is a person that I talk, talk to and speak to a lot that's playing for Columbus. Now, you know, when he at first, we at first started playing together at the line, um, you know, th these are the experiences that you get, but, uh, you know, to see him now, you know, from someone that just came from the coast, similar story to me where nobody believes in you. You know, I remember watching that kid play in Finland and just being like astounded that he wasn't in the NHL. But uh, two more years and one year in Russia later, and now he's, uh, you know, full-blown NHL player. So 
that's something I take from Finland for sure. Something that I really cared about, something that I enjoy watching now is watching him play hockey on the big show and, and uh, something that was deserved, but uh, yeah. And then I went back to Kunlun for another year, uh, same team. We actually based out of Beijing this time rather than Shanghai. So that was, you know, another unique situation taking in, uh, you know, these crazy cities, but um, yeah. And then decided uh, in COVID with everything with the shutdown, it was hard, you know, it, it was hard for everybody. Uh not, not, not unlike anybody else in the world, uh, you know, sports were not impervious to, to, you know, the, the onset of, of trouble that COVID brought. Right. So and, where uh, were you when, when, when everything oh, shut down? I was in China. <laughs> so, okay. That, that was uh, unique in a sense that we didn't understand that at the time that that was, uh, you know, happening. Right. I, I remember getting on a plane to, to Siberia and, um, you know, stopping halfway through and basically the coaching staff and Kurt Frazier, a longtime NHL guy, comes back. He said, look, at guys, uh, we're never going back to China. And I'm like, OK, what? <laughs> we have, uh, well, at the time we had at least 20 games or 15 games. I'm like, well, what do you mean we're not going back? Like we have all our stuff in China. And yeah, it's like, well, we're, we're never going back because we can't. So it's like, okay, why? Because we didn't know what COVID-19 was. I mean, you know, that was just very, like, we're talking middle January. I mean, people were just starting to think about what, what was happening. So um, quickly, we, you know, see how things progress. But uh, we ended up playing the next 50 days on the road. And it was absolutely insanity. Um, almost in a sense, we didn't make playoffs, which is almost better because we got out clean. We got back to Toronto. And then it was like two or three days later that it was like, full you saw you know everything shutting down nba nhl everything sort of the dominoes started to fall and i remember thinking like wow like i cannot believe we we're just this close to what was going on and just had no idea like because people did i mean people to just nobody had the answers you know and, and if you look at really how it continued nobody continued to have the answers right I mean, specifically it was probably the biggest problem was nobody nobody could find them you know nobody really knew okay was this a three-week thing you know, I remember, I remember the first quarantine being excited because I'd been in Russia and China and Siberia and Belarus and Kazakhstan. <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, I'll sit in my house. <laughs> like, I have no problem. Like, I'll sit right here ordering my favorite food, dealing with my kid, <laughs> my wife, and my dog. And I do not care one bit because I've been all over the world, sleep deprived. I was like, but I thought it was just going to be like a month fun thing. And then it was like two months, three months four months, five. I'm like, wow. I'm like, are we going to get back to playing hockey? Uh, wow. You know, that was, that was a tough part. Right? So during the COVID, of course, everything shut down. Um, is it after COVID? Did you, did you start doing your stint and didn't you do some Czechoslovakia before you go yeah. to the Dell? Yeah. So, so basically what happened was it, it, it kind of falls into the COVID territory. It was like, I was going to sign in Germany because that's what I wanted to do. Germany basically had, I had agreed to a contract and like, it was such a disaster because they didn't know, like, I guess, it's, I guess it's, they had no idea, like, you know, what they were doing. So they were like, we're going to sign you a contract. So it was like, thank God, like, this is over. Like I have a contract to support my family. And there was like three weeks went by and then it got worse. COVID got worse. It was like September. And then they were like, push the season again. And they're like, we can't, we can't do the contract anymore. And I was like, well, all right. So you're back to right back to that darkness of like, well, how, how am I going to do this? You know, and that's what I'm saying. Like sports for the first time sports, you can usually avoid uh, most things, but 
you know, you, you couldn't this time, you, you know, it was right, right in the middle of everything. Uh, sports were definitely going with the curve of, of how COVID was going and uh, Czech was playing. I made a decision that I had to play Germany had, as far as I understood, wasn't going to play. So I went there and obviously wasn't, a, it wasn't a situation I really felt comfortable in, you know, I hadn't played hockey in nine months, uh, you know, from a hockey standpoint, I didn't feel good. Uh, from a family standpoint, it felt awful. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't get my kid and my wife over just, I mean, and again, it was COVID situation. Couldn't get the flights going. Like it was just a joke. And I, I said, look, like, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I, I spoke to a team in Germany. They finally, you know, had agreed in Germany to let the hockey teams play with no fans. Uh, I had a relationship with Larry Mitchell and Doug Shedden, uh, two hockey guys that I, I knew well enough that they said, we're going to get your family here immediately. Uh, regardless of COVID. So I, ju I jumped on it and left check. And uh, honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because, uh, you know, German hockey is a lot of fun. Uh, it's a, very similar to the American League. You get a lot of imports that you've seen before. You know, the league's built around people you understand. And, it, you know, the hockey for me made a lot of sense. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, thankfully I had those guys to pull me into Germany, into Ingolstadt, because uh, it was a lot of fun. It was really was. And I was able to get my kid and my and my wife there. So. Yeah, and I was going to ask about the the level, but you just answered that. So you're doing well, um, and and I don't know how many games you're into this year's season, but you've had like 60 points in the last two seasons, um, uh, like 100 games played. So man, you're you're putting up uh, points like if not every game, it's every other game. So you're having a a, a great time over there. What's it? What's talk a little bit about the team because I'm not familiar with the Red Wings. Where are you guys at, or where was the team last year? I know you weren't on that team, but what tell us a little bit about the team and what to expect this year? Yeah, so, so the you know, the DL, um, for a lot of people may not understand like how supported it is and I, I maybe didn't either but I think what you just what you just saw it's a good time to ask a question because you'll probably see it but uh, if, if people were to watch highlights recently San Jose played in uh, against Berlin and Berlin's obviously in the in the DEL and the league I'm playing in now and um, it's just a lot of fun you know the, the league is is really high end you get really high end imports you get a lot of people that are at the point in their career where uh, they want their families to have a good life and, and enjoy it. Uh, you get that here with the schooling, uh, you know, the team and family atmosphere. But uh, if, if you watch the game against San Jose, you see why what makes Germany, Germany. And it's the support from the fans. Like it's it's out of control. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, there's not a game that uh, you'll see an atmosphere that's not enjoyable to play in front of. You know, we have some of the best fans here in Schwinnigan, which you mentioned uh, the new team this year. I mean, we get about 6,000, just about a game, but I mean, it's the loudest rank you've ever heard in your life. They're throwing stuff, they're chanting, they're jumping They're I mean, it's just a whole different thing. And, and like I said, if you, if you watch those highlights, San Jose versus Berlin, I, I was listening to the commentators, uh, you know, from, from San Jose saying, we've never seen a building never sit down. And that's the way it is. I mean, they, everybody's standing, standing the entirety of the game. They, they've got their routines. They've had their history of what they've been doing. It's more of that soccer, you know, football mentality uh, of fan bases. So yeah, being in Schwinning has been great. Obviously it's an early start, but the team's kind of turned things around. So for me, it's been exciting. Uh, found a place to, like I said, I don't, I don't take, take it for granted to find places at 34 to play hockey. So uh, to find yeah. one like this has been uh, been really fun. So, can you define your role on on the team? 
Um, or is there one, or did the coach tell you you had a role or yeah. I mean, what, what is, what, what is your role? Cause you saying, I mean, you, you're the vet player, but you're, yeah. you're, you're producing. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you're not a guy who could just sit in the corner in the locker room. <laughs> Some days maybe I wish I could, it'd be a lot easier, but yeah. uh, no. Yeah. I mean, look at the, the good thing about age is that you do know your role and nobody should probably have to tell it to you. Right. I mean, by the time, you know, this is my 13th year of playing and, you know, I played over 700 games now, like I have a really good idea of what works and what doesn't. So, you know, coaches here, they understand that, you know, it's not like they have to come to me and define my role. Like I have a pretty good idea of where, what I need to do, you know, bring physicality, bring, you know, you know, that morale to a team, plus obviously chip him with goals. And, and, you know, I take, I take outside of that without people telling me, but like, I've been there, you know, I've been there where people have helped me, you know, I've had incredible hockey people around me, you know, some high level human beings that, uh, you know, that's what makes the hockey world go around. That's why I believe this is the best sport in the world. It's because of the people in it. It's the character within it. And, uh, you know, that level of care that I had from a Ryan Craig, who's coaching in Vegas, my first year captain to, I mean, it, it goes on like Cal O'Reilly, Ryan's brother there. And, uh, you know, the relationships that I've had with older players, I know that I have the, these experiences to offer the young guys here. And, you know, more so in Germany, I find that, uh, it's enjoyable to, to, to be an older player because there's the, the ceiling is so high for, for German hockey, because it's not Canada where it's, you know, the craziest and it's the number one, it's blah blah blah. So they they want to take everything in. They want to listen. And that's all you want to, you know, with, with your teammates and younger players. And I find here in Schwinnigan specifically, uh, we, we've got a great group of young people that listen, uh, you know, open eyes, full heart. They don't care that, you know, if you want to go out and shoot pucks, they're right beside you, listening, adapting, following. And uh, to a certain extent, I, I really enjoy that part of my role. So um, two questions. So you're kind of like, and how I would describe you is a, a great all around player. You know, you put the puck in the net, you can be a playmaker. You can also drop the gloves and stick up for your guy. So, now you're in the, you, you've got so much international experience now, but you come from that hardcore Canadian North American style hockey. I think you're six two, if I'm not wrong. Yep. So you're you're a big guy. Um, yep. Do you are are you the Canadian tough guy, all around guy when you're playing over there in Europe, or did mm-hmm. you have to kind of morph around to the more of the uh, you know Finnish? Uh, Swedish style of hockey, or are you just like, hey man, I'm the I'm the Canadian vet. This is how I play. Yeah, it's probably probably both, right? Like like there's a certain extent that obviously can't like you know when I started America, it was you know it was it was complete fuck without sorry mind my French but it's you know it was a disaster like sometimes right and you had to be I mean you couldn't you couldn't survive playing on a fourth line not being hard enough to do so. And uh, it's not to say that that's how I feel I am about myself, but it's just to say that that's what you had to do. So I've been good at adapting, you know, that's just understanding, you know, and I, and I always say that that'll be the, the most important part of me moving from hockey, you know, whether I stay in hockey or I do something else, it's just that adaptation within each situation is, is so important. You know, I, I couldn't run around in Finland and, and play uh, just that way. For, first off it, it doesn't make a lot of sense because it's just not the game. 
you know, you, you can't sell your soul and, and expect to be yourself. So yeah, I, I still played physical and, and don't get me wrong. You know, that was always going to be the way I played, but there were, you know, situations, each different style of what, where you're at that, uh, you know, whether it was in Russia, they hold the puck longer, you know, you got to learn to possess the puck. They, they don't dump pucks. They don't, they pull them back. They regroup. Finland was the same, you know, and, and then coming to Germany, you have to kind of get a little harder again because, you know, the hockey is harder. It's more North American based. Germans play hard. Uh, you know, it's going to be uh, fighting for ice everywhere more so like it was in the American League. So uh, quickly adapting, quickly understanding. It always takes you a little bit of time each place you're at. But uh, I always I always attribute hockey IQ to everything. You know, if you can yeah. see and understand the game, you can see and understand how people are playing. You can see tendencies. I mean, slowly but surely you give it one, two, three weeks. I've been around hockey my whole life so I can I can figure out what's uh what's going to need to be changed and you know what's working and, and how you how you work with your teammates so so before I go to what we call our little lightning round which we'll we'll find out some quick answers from you about some cool things about your your career yeah. um you recognize off ice quite a bit um I I do know I remember I think it was in Providence I remember getting I think you get some recognition for working with the community, but you've always done that your whole career. Mm -hmm. So um, first of all, uh, I, I guess it's how important do you think it is for players? I mean, it's not part of the job description unless it's written in your contract. I don't know. You tell me, but yeah. is it how important it is for players to get involved in fans and get involved in the community? Oh, I, I think it's just like, I, I think it's paramount because if, if you really look at it, if you, if you're, I think I'll take it back. The way I was raised is just the way, the way I was raised. So, you know, that's how we were raised. You know, I, I, like I said, I had three, three brothers and I had a family that always helped people. So for me, that was, that was just the way I wanted to be, but I always thought, you know, you had all this time anyways. I mean, realistically, when you're a pro hockey player, I mean, you're a professional movie watcher too. I mean, you, you know, you have all this time, you know, before kids, I should say, but, um, you know, the time's there. Why not? I mean, I always said, they don't, they don't care who you are, people that you're helping. They don't know if you're Patrice Bergeron or Brandon DeFazio. I mean, you have a Jersey on and you go and you help and you, you show up for kids and, and uh, just make them smile in the end of the day. Like that's, that's what they remember. They don't, they don't remember that, uh, you know, you were a superstar or a fourth line grinder. I mean, you always have the opportunity to change someone's day and uh, use, use it in the right direction. Like uh, I never understood why not. And uh, I thought specifically in the small communities, you know, in, in the American league, it was, it was just so important. I mean, you had, so, you know, if you look at Utica or, you know, places like that, I mean, it's, you're talking to a small, small place that they're paying money to come watch you play hockey and you, they're allowing you to be a part of the, your, their small community. Um, there shouldn't, shouldn't be any hesitation to do the same for them. You know, if they're coming to do that for you, then I, I can certainly make time to, you know, start an Alzheimer fund or, uh, you know, get involved with going to youth hockey or, you know, so that's just how I always looked at it. And like I said, that's, that's how we were raised as kids that uh, you give back, uh, you do as much as you can for people. And, uh, you know, for me, for me, uh, selfishly saying, you know, it made me happy too. Nice, nice. So the lightning round questions, you can just say a name, a place. If you yeah. have a, a short story, that would be funny along with it. Uh, the listeners love that, but yeah. here we go. Uh, and you can say pass if your just brain goes, I, I really don't know. 
Okay. All right. So here we go. Toughest goalie to score against. And this is going to be from not from your collegiate years. So this is just pro level. Toughest okay. goalie to score against. Um, I would say Jacob Markstrom in practice because I thought he was um, absolutely lights out the way he competed. Um, obviously, we were lucky to have him that year. Uh, probably shouldn't have been in the American League, but I know it's weird to probably pick someone that uh, was in practice, but he was very, very difficult to score on. Was it, was it just his, um, his hockey IQ? Was it his uh, size? What was it, both. speed? Yeah, both, everything. That, that was a problem. He was 6'6", plus he could move, plus he competed. You know, I, I had seen lots of goalies with size uh, that, you know, if it falls to the back door and you're off in practice, they're just going to let it get pumped in the net. Um, I, I had, I had a few, I should say, I want to, I want to say a few, but Markstrom was like that because his athletic ability was off the charts too at six, six plus his compete was wild, but you know, Justin Peters ahead also, who's working with the senators. Now he was the same. And I always, I always found that, uh, different, different goalies, different size, different, I'm not saying the same, but the same with the compete. And I thought that if, if you, if you had a goalie in practice that refused to get scored on, those are the best ones. And those yeah. are the guys on our team. And I thought that Marky, specifically with his size, ability, speed, everything, IQ, plus that, that was that was hard to score on. <clears throat> the worst ice conditions are a locker room. And this is great because we've had a lot of guys that have played in Germany and in like Slovenia. <laughs> and what had the worst ice conditions or locker room? Yeah, these are good questions. This is really interesting. Uh there's a lot, there's a lot of bad there, There's there's some <laughs> rink, and I, I I don't know if it was in, I, I don't know if it was it was in Czechoslovakia, yeah. But I don't know if it was the their the elite league or their two league. But we've had like three players say this is the worst place on earth. So it, <laughs> maybe you weren't the there. But what what do you think? The worst <laughs> ice conditions locker room. <laughs> that is really funny. Oh man. Uh I mean, I think the worst locker room might have been the old Binghamton visitor room. <laughs> that was not high end. It was always seemed to be like really damp in there <laughs> still from like whoever was in there the night before. It was just like wet everywhere. It was like the the shower wouldn't drain properly. It would be like up uh. to your like, ankles. And it was like, oh, man. It's like if you didn't know you were grinding out in the Iron League, you definitely did when you got – Put in the shower after and the water's up to your knees and it's like oh my god uh oh, but the ice man. is good there and i liked playing there actually uh ice conditions that's tough i mean san antonio probably was just a wreck <coughs> it was just a wreck because it was just so hot and they couldn't control it they didn't have the right people probably in there controlling temperature going from basketball concert blah blah, blah huge rink like couldn't control it. Yeah, you see it in the DL all the time. You see it honestly with the big ranks. Like you know, Mannheim has a big rank, awful ice. Uh, Cologne has a huge rank. All the all the all the places that filter that are outside of you know the NHL because NHL obviously they have a a level they have to keep it at and they have people that it's their full time job to do so. Obviously that doesn't happen here. So you see those big ranks that are switching concert basketball back and forth. Yeah. They can't keep up, but uh, yeah. Who's the player that can get under your skin? Who's the rat? Who's the guy that you just like, man, you just hate playing against this guy. He's just a rat. 
<laughs> and, and and if you don't want to mention a name because you don't want to mention him, that's okay too. Maybe you could describe him, but uh, usually this is the one where players are like, yep, here it comes, and they just go right after whoever. <laughs> this is hilarious. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought that Rich Clune was, uh, was the hardest to play against. Uh, I won't call him a rat out of respect because uh, what he did was hard, and uh, it's hard to, to play on the edge like he did every day, but – he made my life hard. That's for sure. I just felt like he was always in my ear. He probably wouldn't even care to remember it. Cause he was probably doing it to so many people. To be yeah. honest. But, you know, it was probably so constant for him, but I, I remember that he was always, always had something, something to say and uh, played on the edge. Yeah. Like I said, not, not a rap, but certainly was going to make sure that he, he knew. Uh, you know. he so, no. What defenseman was the toughest defenseman, meaning not, dropping the gloves but was there a defenseman that they would just be able to clear you right out of the net you're trying to jockey for position and you can't move them oh man oh there's so many uh i mean you're a big guy <laughs> honestly like there, there's so many so many that i could think of over the years like I don't know. I, I think that that's difficult because you tend to tend to, when you played so long, you tend to remember just what's happened now and you forget, but yeah. you know, it seemed, it seemed like, I guess I'll say this. It seemed like every time you played in the American league, my first three years, people were massive and unmovable in front of the net and tough and the whole thing. I guess I could only say like, it's easier for me to say guys on my team and remember specifically how they played. You know, I, I remember like a Rob Bortuzzo who's with St. Louis was like ridiculously hard in front of the net. Like he didn't let anyone and he had an edge where he snapped and um, lots of guys back then were like that. But I remember how hard he played. I'll say that in Germany. Okay. In Germany, there's this guy, and you'll have to look him up at this. And he's one of my favorite players. He probably doesn't know this, but he's German. You know, I'm always saying I really like him. <laughs> he's probably just like, shut, shut your mouth. You have no idea what you're talking about. But his name is Dennis Rule, and he plays for Mannheim, and he's like 6'5". Like, he's got to be 260. And uh, you'll, you'll, have to, you'll have to look up his picture after, but this guy's an absolute machine. And I think he's unreal. Like, he snaps a good first pass. And literally, if you're coming down to take a shot – you, you cannot get it by this guy. I mean, like his shin pads are as wide as, you know, like, like it, it's like, look, look him up after this and you're going to see what I mean. Just okay. take a look at a picture of this guy and uh, that guy's a machine. So that guy, I would say is as, as big and as hard to play against as they, they come. All right. Two more and we're done. Uh, this one is our favorite. What is the, most embarrassing or craziest thing to happen to you in a warm-up or during a game? It's confession time. <laughs> or craziest. It doesn't know it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be embarrassing, but it could just be something crazy. I you know, I've been I've been lucky. I, I've stayed on my feet for the most part. I see a lot of falls, a lot of stuff happen. Um the blue line doesn't trip you and warm up at all or anything. <laughs> well, you, you have to pay a hundred bucks to the team fine if you get shin pads <laughs> on the ground and warm up. So I, can't <laughs> it, so I always try to keep try to keep the shin pads uh, vertical and not get down there. 
Jeez, I've seen guys fall like all the way into other teams' warm ups. Like I've seen guys fall skating in uh, to stop for the national anthem. I think that the funniest stuff you see in warm ups is like the old school intimidation stuff, like outside of me, not embarrassing or different moments like that. Uh, but that stuff was wild. Like, you know, if you've ever seen Trevor Gillies, for instance, uh, warm up, I mean, he takes his helmet off, he's shadow boxing the air. He's got a towel involved. Like, I'm not even sure what he's doing it, but that guy was, you know, crazy. You know, that stuff I thought was funny as hell. Like, like uh, there was this guy one time, you know, I was playing in South Carolina and, and they had a whole promo video uh, before you go out. So you got to watch it. And he rides up on his Harley with no shirt on. I think his name was TJ <laughs> <G>. Reynolds. <laughs> and I swear to God, he took a whole couple laps with our team. Uh, you know, as the enforcers, the other team. So he was on our whole side doing a, whole, a couple laps. The guys were just like looking at each other, like, uh, you know, what are we going to do? It was like, oh, I, I ain't saying anything to him. Like, I just watched <laughs> him ride it. I just watched him ride it on his motorcycle with no shirt on. You yeah. go tell him it's outside of our warm up. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I was like, he can just skate over here if he wants to because <laughs> I'm not dealing with it. But that, that stuff, like, uh, that stuff was funny to me. So, so you still got your career. Like I say, you're doing. Great, but you know, um, you know, I'm not sure where things are going to go. I mean, you got a family, and I know things change as, as you get on there, but you still are playing at a high, high level. Um, given that, looking mm -hmm. back so far, what has been your greatest hockey memory? And this could be from when you're a kid. Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I, I like I like the question because it makes you think about the things that you've done and it's always important. You know, it's not easy to do while you're in it, but uh, yeah. I I come back to surprisingly, you know, you know, being called up to NHL is obviously incredible and all that stuff, but um, there's, there's two things that I always think about. And if you're always thinking about it, we've played so many different places and they're probably there for a reason. Those memories. One was uh, I got traded when I was uh, 17 and junior I got traded for the best team in Canada. We never lost at home. The day I, the day I got traded, uh, I had to call my uncle and aunt. They were living in the town that I got, I was playing in uh, because my parents were working and I was just crushed, you know, crying and, and the whole thing. And the night that I got traded, my old team won 19 to one. So they clearly didn't need me. <laughs> Everything <laughs> was not going well. Uh, you know, cry your way home with your uncle having to pick you up and you get traded at the game and the whole thing. But the best memory for me in hockey was the going to my hometown team in Oakville. We ended up playing them in, in a game seven where they had, like I said, never lost, supposed to win the RBC, the whole thing. And uh, we won that game. So I always think about that moment because it just meant so much to me, you know, from such a low point in your career to where nobody believed in you to coming home and playing for your hometown team to beating that team that was never supposed to lose. That was certainly something I always remember, just the elation of driving home as a kid, you know, just so happy about hockey and just so happy that you were able to prove yourself that uh, you were needed and somebody wanted you and that, uh, you know, things worked out for a reason. And and the second thing that I always remember in hockey is uh, the team we had in Utica. Uh, it was really special. We had a really special group there. Uh, we had a special thing going because it was the first years that Utica had team back. So uh, it felt like you and the town versus everybody. And, uh, you know, we went all the way to the Calder cup finals, uh, unfortunately to lose in five games, but um, you know, those are those, that, that run was uh, something I think about all the time. I mean, just the, the memories of the memories of winning, you always, 
stay with you because it's hard, hard to do. And even though we lost in the finals, it's, uh, it was difficult to get there, you know, especially what I always say about the American League, what people don't understand is that like, you don't get paid, you know, in the American League to play playoffs. And if you go to the finals at 60 days of not being paid, you got to pay rent, you got to pay wow. tickets, you got to pay your car. Like, it's not easy to do. Like, you know, you got to really have some people that really care about winning uh, to do it in the American League because you're not wow. getting ahead specifically at all. You're actually losing money. You know, the yeah. bonuses then weren't structured well enough that, you you know, you weren't, you weren't getting, you weren't gaining anything. So you're, you're really pulling together and you're saying, you know, we're doing this because we want to do it because a lot of people are all right with sliding out because they're saying, Hey, I don't want to get caught in that transfer from May to June and that extra month of rent. And, uh, and I get it. But, uh, yeah. Those yeah I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, man, that's, that's a great way to, uh, to end this. Hey, Brandon, this has been everything that uh, I had hoped for. Uh, Andrew will be jealous. Uh, like I said, we've been scheduling this uh, for about a year now, man. And that, and, and it was great. I can't thank you enough. No, I appreciate it. Look at any, uh, any opportunity to vocalize what you've been through, hopefully help some people too. You know, if there's some young people listening or so on and so forth, and obviously some funny stuff, I thought those questions were hilarious. So hopefully people enjoyed it. I uh, appreciate you guys taking the time to, to interview me. I'm, I'm always humbled that people want to want to speak to me too. So uh, thank you for reaching out. It, it meant a lot to me as well.